Welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we're your hosts, Gabby Corbett and James Lee. And today on the podcast with us is the Reverend Kate Monahan. Uh, Kate is the current Director of Resourcing for the Coastal Plains Region and Mosaic Ministries, the leadership recruitment arm of the United Methodists of Eastern Pennsylvania and Greater New Jersey. Kate, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, So, Kate, for folks who may not know you or your journey, can you just tell us uh, briefly about your journey into ministry and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, Well, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Uh, I did not grow up in New Jersey, and I did not grow up in the United Methodist Church. Um, And when I was in Buffalo, I actually joined a youth group um, when I was in my early teens. And um, it was there that I kind of first heard a call to ministry. It was not specific necessarily. I didn't know what shape that would take, but um, I was kind of at the end of middle school going into high school and um, my parents were going through divorce and there was a lot of change that was happening Mm -hmm. in my life. And so um, it was sort of in the midst of all of that, that I felt a very distinct sort of inner nudging that was very clear. I like remember exactly where I was when it happened. I remember who was with me. Um, And this inner nudge just said very clearly, um, you are going to use your own suffering to help other people Mm. who are suffering and um and to to experience the love of god and so that kind of launched me on a trajectory toward ministry that has taken a lot of different shapes Mm. um i i went to undergrad uh, around the Buffalo, New York area. And then I came to New Jersey to go to Princeton Theological Seminary. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it was there that I got connected to the United Methodist Church and um, began to think of that as my theological home. Mm. Um, And my journey to ministry, uh, my call has taken a few different shapes throughout my life. Um, I've worked in the church. I have worked as a chaplain at the psychiatric hospital here in New Jersey. Um, I've run an after-school program for sort of um, troubled middle and high schoolers and lots of different things. So the call has taken a different shape. Certainly, I didn't think that I would be a lead pastor um, in a church. Uh, growing up, I didn't have any experiences at, with female lead pastors. Mm -hmm. So I did not think that would be my fate, but here I am. I've served as the lead pastor of three different churches and now I work in this role. And so it's kind of, you know, quick summary of why I'm here. (laughs) Awesome. It's so cool to see people's journeys navigate and how we experience the changing of our, or the, the deepening of the understanding of our calls. So you're getting ready to lead a, th- a seminar through our leadership Academy, um, based on, uh, Dr. Stephanie Shackelford's book, you on purpose. So I was wondering if you could help us understand the difference, if there is one between calling and purpose. Yeah. Um, so I'll just say, starting out that the, the Leadership Academy uh, class is happening right now. We're actually doing our second of three tonight, but 
Um, hopefully there will be more. So if you're not signed <laughs> up, maybe you'll have the opportunity to um, hang out with me a little bit and have this cool conversation. I'll also say that the um, the class is loosely based on the book. We do use some of the resources in the book. We also have um, some other resources that we're using as well. And it's just to try and help people connect uh, wherever they are around this question of like, what is my purpose? What is my call? Um, I would say that to your question, we tend to, in our culture, use a lot of words to try to get at the same concept. Yeah. We use calling, purpose, vocation, life goal, vision, <laughs> like you name it, we've got a word for it. And we all sort of mean slightly different things by them. Sometimes we use them interchangeably. And I would say that I'm not 100% sure if there's like one right word to yeah. use. Um, what I have learned is that um, calling has a little bit of baggage to it and sometimes some hmm. damaging associations hmm. with it. So um, oh. calling tends to be pretty churchy. Mm -hmm. It's a churchy word that not everybody uses. Um, to describe why they love the thing they do or feel like that is the thing they're supposed to be doing. Um, I've also noticed that our calling tends to be tied with our work or with the idea of productivity. And, um, and that people also tend to think that our calling is something that should just come to us that like it should just smack us over the heads and we should just have no questions about it ever again and that the path should just become clear. I think that all of those are like not that great. I don't think those assumptions are that great about this word. Yeah. I kind of like the, I don't dislike the word calling, mm -hmm. but I kind of like the word purpose yeah. because it feels a little bit more accessible to people, maybe like outside of the church. Yeah. Whatever word you choose to use, we have to trouble it a little bit and the assumptions that we have of it. Yeah. Um, in the book, You on Purpose, she has a definition of of purpose or calling that I really like. And I have it written here so I could read it and I don't mess it up. It says, calling or purpose is all of the special activities that God created you to perform in the world. It's a fulfillment of God's intention and design for you, which will naturally result in service and benefit of others. Now, I really like this definition because for one thing, it's not singular. So it's all the activities that God might have for you to do. And it doesn't have to look one particular way. It doesn't have to take one particular form. I also like it because it's not necessarily tied to the future or tied to work. Um, and I like it because it's a reminder that living into your purpose, it should not only feel fulfilling to you, but it if you're living into the thing that brings you joy, it is inevitably going to benefit the world around you in some way. So um, I don't know if there's one right word, but but as I've been thinking about this, um, I kind of like purpose, and yeah. I kind of think that no matter what word we use, we should we should think about what we mean by that. Yeah, that reminds me of I believe it's a conversation with Bill Gates, but it might be someone else that said we should stop asking children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because we are conditioning children to think of their ide identity based on their job, their vocation, oh, yes. and instead should ask the question, what problem in the world do you want to solve when you mm. grow up? 
And what that does, it, it kind of frees children and folks to think of themselves, oh, I have to be a doctor or I have to be a lawyer and when I grow up. But instead, I could say, I want to help people in this area. Yeah. And so even if your job title changes, your purpose is still on track. Right. right. Uh, yeah, we have two I, teenagers I in our house right now and the enormous <laughs> pressure that they feel to pick the right school mm. and the right degree and the right life trajectory at like the age of 17 is incredible. And frankly, it's just not truthful. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, right. it's not human. We're asking them to do something that not only are their brains not physically capable of doing, but that like we have to do and redo and undo throughout the course of our whole mm. human lives. So it is pretty crazy. Yeah. 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 And, and even the vocation of being a pastor, being an ordained clergy is going through a lot of changes. Uh, in ministry, we expect that being pastors means uh, serving, serving and ordering the mm -hmm. life of the church, mm -hmm. but not everyone who's called into ministry is called into the traditional parish or pulpit ministry. It's no secret that the church right now is in need of some help. Um, we have had a lot of long-held and sometimes very rigid beliefs and systems that while we might love them and mm -hmm. while they may have in their time and place served a really important purpose, they don't always serve us right now in our rapidly changing context. And in our culture, I feel like there's a growing number of people who don't locate the church or their spiritual community as being the center of their lives mm -hmm. where all of their needs are met. And um, neither do our communities. The church is sometimes right. no longer the central place where all of those various things are met. There's, you know, there's tons of great nonprofits right now doing lots of right. important work to meet community needs and to tackle enormous human problems like public health mm -hmm. and poverty and racism and hunger and environmental degradation and you name it. So I think that if the church is going to be relevant and dare I say life-changing, right? Because I'm not sure relevancy is the goal. I think the goal is to change lives. So Amen. If, Amen. Yes. if the church is going to be life-changing, and continue to be a life-changing force going forward, I think we're gonna have to become really good community partners yeah. who care about the holistic well-being of people and who wanna work with other people toward a common good in people's lives. And so that means we're gonna need all kinds of ministry skills, mm -hmm. not just full-time pastors. We're gonna need lawyers mm -hmm. and doctors and mental health care professionals and business women and men. and you know, people who are movers and shakers and who are out there making a difference in people's lives and who can do that great stuff and also develop a language that connects to their faith, why they do that stuff out in the world and why it matters for their life of faith. We need people who can be able to do that. And, you know, if I can say so, we've probably always needed those people. Um, we've probably always needed them as partners in ministry, but I think that we're seeing that more clearly now than before. I And yeah. so I think that we need to be able to, as, as, um, as people who are engaged in this conversation, we have to be able to come alongside people and help them see their gifts and how their gifts fold into the plan that God has for the world. And 
if that fits the traditional mold of ministry, that's great. And if it doesn't, that doesn't mean it isn't ministry. And that doesn't mean that it can't be connected to a, a faith community or a church body. So I think we have to get a little creative. Yeah, we've got to really explore more fully deacons. Yes, I'm in a total agreement. Yes, because of what you're describing is the, you know, what we have in our system as deacons. And I think for a long time, deacons have been relegated to this place of, you know, you're not an elder. And so we don't really understand their role or embrace the role of why deacons are so important. But I think when we look at the trajectory of the church, right, elders are going to stop being the most, the most important thing, right? The, the sta- mm. golden standard. Um, and we're going to have to really embrace wow. what it looks like to look at the incredible work that deacons are called to do. Um, yeah, I agree. And I'm meeting more and more students in my work with Mosaic Ministries that are interested in this conversation about how, like our students today, they care about a lot of really important things. They care about getting work done in the community and making people's lives better. They don't want to talk about values. They want to act on values and they want the organizations that they're a part of to act on values. And if they're not going to act on values, they'll create their own organization or they'll go somewhere else. And I think that a lot of the students that I'm working with when I talk to them about the deacon role, it really piques their interest mm-hmm. because these students have a, a lot of um, of passion for making a difference in their community, and they have various skills that we haven't necessarily categorized as traditional ministry skills, but that they want to use for the purpose of you know making people and communities better. So I think that, um, yeah, I'm totally in agreement. Deacons all the way. (laughs) We got to radically shift the work we're doing on decom and boom, but that's for another, that's for another conversation. (laughs) It's a process. (laughs) I also find it interesting, right? I'm sitting with two of you who uh, are both ordained elders, right? All of us, Kay and I were ordained the same year. Um, And, of the three of us, two of you have taken roles outside of the local church, uh-huh. right? You know, which I think also kind of helps us start to navigate the question around purpose and calling. And and this idea, Kate, I love what you said uh, in that the conversation between the difference between purpose and calling, right? And how our callings are often um, attached to our productivity and our job titles and our roles. And it's hard, I think, especially in ministry to kind of separate those two out and to be able to say, yes, you can feel the calling to the local church, but the local church is much larger than just an appointment in a local congregation that you serve. It doesn't always look like preaching every single Sunday in the same church and ordering and administering the life there, ministry can take and and manifest itself in different forms. And so you can st- still yeah. continue to have a purpose to empower, make disciples, transform the world. If you're serving as a resource director and the director of Mosaic Ministries, where you're the director of communications for two annual conferences. Um, and there's, I think there's such a beautiful 
image in that. And so I just love the fact that like the conversation that we're having right now is really invested in people who have also refined their purpose uh, in of, and seen it in different ways. Um, so how do we encourage folks to embrace it while they're scared? Because I, right, I would imagine uh, that, you know, and maybe it's not true. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but making the decision to, to pursue ministry that looks different than you were doing before in the local church is a little scary. Um, and even ministry in the local church is scary, but how do we say to people and how do we help encourage them that you can do it even when you're terrified and that living your purpose and doing it scared is okay. In every vocational change that I have had, there has been very real fear (laughs) attached to that vocational change. Not only fear of the unknown or fear of the new dynamics that I'll encounter, but also a fear of like, am I hearing God correctly? Or am I moving away from the thing that I originally thought God was calling me to? Because I would say that like the purpose, your purpose and the shape that your purpose takes sometimes are, they are two different Mm -hmm. things. And so for me, my purpose way back when was to accompany people who are suffering and to use my own suffering to help people experience the love of God. Like that is the purpose and the ways that it could be manifest in my occupation Mm -hmm. could look very different um, but there, but as pastors, I think especially, but also as lay people who are in jobs who that we we've um, we've closely associated our identity with, we often wonder like, well, what am I if not this? Mm-hmm. Or if I move into this role and I'm no longer a pastor, or I'm no longer a doctor, or like, am I moving away from my most authentic self? So I will say that every time there's always been very real fear. And I think that living into your purpose, it does require a lot of courage. It's never not scary (laughs) on some level because I think it's true that your purpose resides at the very core of who you Mm -hmm. are. It has to do with your genetic makeup, your life experiences, the good and the bad, the context that you have been informed by all of that. Mm -hmm informs your purpose over a lifetime and why you were put on this earth and who you can help with the story of your life. And so to live out of our purpose, it requires a lot of vulnerability. And we live in a world that likes to beat our ability to be vulnerable, like right Right out out of us. us. Yes. (laughs) So Hmm. I would say if you feel fear, that's normal. And it's actually good. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a it's an it's a human thing. You should feel it. Um, yeah. And I would also say that. So I would say embrace it for however hard that is. It's not a satisfying answer, but I would say embrace it. Um, I would also say that living your purpose, it can be hard sometimes. You know. I think that most pastors can resonate with this. Over the last couple of years, I've been wrestling with the reality that there are a lot of days in the church that feel like a grind. They are so hard. And I have been working with a mentor to try and recall those moments way back when where I felt the Spirit of God nudging in my life toward a particular direction. 
And, you know, it's funny that as I remember that moment about um, using my suffering to help other people in suffering, I have to laugh at myself a little bit when I'm sitting in my office and be like, God, why am I here? It's so hard. Because, like, there's a part of me that's like, um, hello, did you think that sitting with people and their suffering was going to be easy? Like, that there wasn't suffering that you were going to have to do to be able to make that happen? So... I would say that we have this like idea that if we live into our purpose, that it's going to provide us happiness in the most shallow way. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that it can provide fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I would say that it can give us great joy, but I wouldn't say that every day is going to be happy. And I wouldn't say that there aren't going to be moments of deep grief and deep suffering and having to wade with people through hard things um, and moments where you're wondering you know, is this where I really want to be? I think that that is real. And sometimes the answer to that will be that you need to stay right where you are because yes, you're serving your purpose. And sometimes the answer to that will be, it may be time for you to go elsewhere. Um, But either way, living with purpose, as my grandmother would say, takes a lot of stuff. Like you really need to, you just need to brace yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, how would you uh, help folks navigate their purpose um, when perhaps they think their purpose is one thing, but maybe as you know, folks who are in ministry and leadership with all kinds of different people, you recognize that that may not be their purpose for right. A really easy thing is when I was growing up, I really thought that my like, I know I was always called into ministry, but I really wanted to sing and I wanted to be like the best singer. <laughs> You're a ever. beautiful singer. And my Kevin. children's choir director was right. My children's choir director, bless his soul. He was so good. He like never told me I couldn't sing. Um, and it wasn't until I was in high school that I found out that I am tone deaf. I have no rhythm. I am like a horrible singer. <laughs> so quickly like check that off the things that I am capable of. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you help folks discover their purpose that is actually their purpose and not something that perhaps they're putting on themselves or the world is putting on them? And how do you help people really see where their gifts and graces yeah, so are? And this could be, you know, for young people or, you know, serving in the local church. How do you help your lay people really find what yeah. their purpose is? Yeah. Um, and, and in ministry yeah. as well. Um. Yeah, those are tough conversations sometimes, right? <laughs> Helping people navigate what their gifts and graces are or may not be. Um, I think maybe I'd say a couple things. Uh, the first is that um, I think that holy conversations are part of the way we as people make our way in the world and make choices. Yeah. And um I think it's one of the means by which we explore our calling or what we're supposed to be doing. Um, when you receive confirmation of the thing that you're good at, or when you observe which doors open and which doors close, those things can help us um, sort of determine or make some determinations about what God might be calling us to. So I think that finding a way to have encouraging conversations with people about what their gifts and talents are is important and finding ways for them to serve that uh, spark joy. Um, But I think the second thing that I would say is that 
For those of us who accompany people on this journey of trying to understand their purpose, we sort of have a very sacred task. Um, and I think that that is to be careful not to equate purpose with excellence or achievement too quickly. Um, mm. I don't necessarily think that purpose is synonymous with excellence. Though I think that often our gifts can be a really good indication of how we might be able to make a difference in the world. But I don't necessarily think that you have to be the best singer in order to make a difference in the life of someone else. So what would I say purpose is about then? I would say that it's about um, living into the thing that brings you joy, the thing that does light you up, and that offers joy to other people too. So like if you have someone in your congregation who just loves to sing, but maybe they're not the very best at it, you know, maybe they won't win American Idol, right? Or like they're not going to be the person you give the solo on Christmas Eve to. Like it may not be that. But my question might be, you know, is there any condition that we can create where people might be able to share their joy, even if they're not excellent? And in response, that might still actually generate joy and a sense of meaning for other people. Um, so I would say it's like a both and like we have to be willing to have conversations gently with people about what they're good at and to help them find what makes them flourish. But I don't think that it's tied to um, how much you achieve or how excellent you are at something like that's not the only determining factor for whether or not you're living into the purpose of your life. Yeah, I, I love, Kate, that you're talking about joy. Does this bring joy to me? But I also love that piece yeah. where does this bring joy to others? It's an intersection between the joy that it gives to me and also the ability to give joy to those around me. I think it also ties into what you're talking about, the definition of purpose. It isn't just internal, but it's mm -hmm. also communal. There is a yes. communal piece to it, too. So I love that. So can we say that it is... We can find it in the intersection of joy that I find in myself and the joy that I find myself being able to give to others. I think so. Maybe. That is where we find purpose. Beautiful. There you go. I learned something new. <laughs> we all are. I'm exploring this too. This That's one of the things that I would say is that, um, that discerning your purpose, uh, I've told my leadership Academy class this, that like, you're not going to learn it in three sessions you'll be lucky if you can get like the next clarifying step. And sometimes your purpose, uh, mm -hmm. it's the, it takes, sometimes it takes your whole life. It sounds cliched to say, but understanding what we're all here for is the, is the journey of a lifetime. So we get bits and pieces of clarity along the way about why we're here. And there are certainly practices and things that we can do to further clarify that for us. But I think that all of us are on a lifelong journey of making sense of why we're here and what our life has to offer. So uh, there are no easy or quick answers to what purpose is or how you find it. Um, but there are tools along the way that you can use that will help. Yeah. And a question that is brewing in my head is, so these are very good frameworks to use as we discern what is the purpose in my life. But there's also a calling, if we can still use that word, and purpose for an organization or a body or the local church, 
right? So how does a church family um, who may feel stuck or unsure of their purpose, uh, how do they discern what are some steps that might be a little different when it's a community looking for mm-hmm. guidance and direction and purpose? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that they're not fundamentally, a lot, a lot of the steps aren't fundamentally different from as individuals. Um, I, and I don't know that there's like a, um, an order, like a linear order in which you have to do the steps necessarily. Um, but I think that some of what it would include, um, is lots of conversation with each other, lifting up voices, hearing the hearts of people hearing the gifts and graces that exist in the community. Um, Hmm. I think that we have to become better at prayer. And I say this as somebody who feels very Mm -hmm. ill-equipped to help people become better at prayer because I feel like I'm so bad at it so much of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think that our ability to pause to slow ourselves down, to observe, Mm -hmm. to listen, to reflect on what we're seeing and to not just push full steam ahead just because there's a million things that require our energy and attention. I think that practicing the pause is so important and I think that in our churches right now, as we've come out of COVID and as we've seen the wreckage that exists and we've, maybe it's wreckage that's new, maybe it's wreckage that you saw coming down the pike and now it's here and it's here faster than you thought it was going to be. Um, you know, and I think we experience that as communities and also personally for ourselves um, being able to slow down and to not immediately jump to a response, immediately jump to an answer out of our own anxiety is so critical to being able to see clearly and to make strategic steps forward that are actually going to be helpful and not just generate more work and more anxiety and broken relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that too is a key piece to being able to discern well together in community. Um, I'm, I'm also, uh, you know, I'm a thought partner in all of this with you. So these are things that I'm thinking about all the time. Um, you know, I've led congregations through various seasons of discernment and those are some of the key pieces Mm -hmm. that I think, uh, are essential, but I'm, I'm positive. There are more. Awesome. Gabby, you want to ask the last question? Should I ask the last question? I, I, I'll do it. All right. So yeah. we, we're Methodist. I know you didn't grow up Methodist, but I'm sure that over your time, you've learned that we're really into food. Oh, yeah. Yes. And that we love our covered dishes. So here at the Uncovered Dish podcast, we always ask our guests um, one final question. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what would that one thing be? Oh my god! <laughs> I knew this was going to be no hard. variations. <laughs> Just the breakfast, thing. lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, 
I love food. I love it so much. I I come from like a a family of people who just love to cook and love to eat it in all seasons yes. and occasions. Like every occasion is occasion for food. Um, so that is a tough question because I love variety and there are very few things I don't love. Like I, I, the only food that I know I hate is like olives. Oh, I hate them. And I've tried every time. I have tried every single kind and I hate them. All right. So we could check Um, olives off the list. Yeah. If I had to eat one thing, it's a toss up between two things. So it would either be homemade bread because I am a bread baker. You are. I love homemade bread or um, chicken wings, but not any chicken wings, buffalo chicken wings. And like everybody says that they make buffalo chicken wings, but that's not true. Buffalo, New York makes buffalo chicken wings. (laughs) So if I had to, I would eat, I would forever eat buffalo chicken, buffalo, New York, buffalo chicken wings. Gotta represent Buffalo, New York. Yeah. There you go. Go Bills. All right. Go Bills. <laughs> well, Kate, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Thank uh, you if for folks want me. to, yeah. Uh, and we should, we could have definitely want to have you on again. Yeah. If folks want to reach out to you or had any questions, how can they reach you if they wanted to find out more about Mosaic? Uh, where should they go? Where can they find more information? Yeah, you can find me on the website under the staff page where you can email me at kmonahan at gnjumc.org. I'd be super happy to um, chat with you individually or, um, you know, you can, yeah, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to connect with you and um, continue this conversation. Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Like I said, we will love to have you again uh, on here. And next time, maybe you'll be in person and we'll have some (laughs) buffalo wings from Buffalo, New York. I'm going to hold you to that. There you go. So because I love some wings. So we'll do that. All right, Kate, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye now.